welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wildbo's most inhuman work five years on. Coming out next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Execution 13.6. So I think this is the chapter where Blake is the most villainous he's ever been. (laughs) And to emphasize that, this chapter starts with him standing on the edge of a rooftop spying on... um, his retreating foes who he has thoroughly, you know, <laughs> disheartened and murdered some of, and they're just kind of retreating and he's like, mm, how can I exploit this? Yeah, I mean, he uses the term perched uh, to describe how he's like standing on this rooftop uh, and it like it immediately drew my mind to the, the bird creature he became in, yeah. uh, in that Drain's future vision that, that didn't go ahead yet. Um... But, yeah, like, it, it's hard not to picture, like, God, some anime villain or something just, you know, standing on the roof looking down at the heroes as they're, like, trying to retreat. Like, it just feels so evil villain. Like, yeah, yeah I, uh, I mean, you know, if you want to be less charitable, charitable to him, it's a, it's a bit of a golem move, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's no way to... Like, just the opening of this scene, it feels like we're seeing it from the villain's perspective as he's watching the <laughs> heroes make, make their, like, retreat. Yeah, um, and I think he lives up to that throughout the rest of the chapter pretty yep. a- uh, pretty aptly. Um, this chapter has a different feeling to the last chapter, right? It doesn't feel... It feels very cat and mouse. It feels very like hiding in the shadows and murdering somebody all of a sudden and then fading away into the darkness. There's this bit of a... Um, then there's this chase sequence later on that's really... It just kind of feels like grimy. I don't know. Um. Yeah, I liked the term cat and mouse that you had here in the notes. Like, I think, I think that really suits it. Like, it, it is a very different feeling. It's, uh, it's sort of, he's, he's got them all in a clump or two clumps kind of, and he's just trying to pick them off one by one, which, you know, that's, that's what scary mo- horror monster movies, scary movie monsters do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we get a note as well near the start of this chapter that, uh, the bell has gone quieter, which... I guess is a good thing. Like, it feels like Molly is appeased for now, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, we're about to deal with that pretty explicitly. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing to keep an eye on throughout this chapter, something that I kind of really noticed on the second read-through, was how this chapter seems to be showing the Duchamps as a cohesive unit, I suppose, with some divisions in their ranks. I mean, they're starting out walking on in two rows right but they really Mm. band together quite well this chapter and team blake uh doesn't i guess (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah i mean referencing them as team blake feels very apt for this chapter uh because it definitely seems to be all about blake right now yeah um but yeah i mean obviously last chapter and now this chapter are really our first ideas of how enchanting can work in combat like i'd always wondered how they were meant to fight on the field yeah because i assume like i I hadn't thought of the idea of you know pinning people to the ground and stuff and it makes sense but uh like i love how attuned this concept is to targeting blake specifically uh because he's all about freedom um so the idea that the the most common offensive thing the duchamps is doing is is pinning someone down and, and trapping them and that actually scares him like he kind of says oh i want to go fight the pyromancer um because that's the least scary to me and it's like you're made out of tree and you want to go fight the fire person like that really sort of shows his his mental state 
right now um and obviously we'll be talking a lot more about that as the chapter unfolds but uh mm. you're you're right like just just the way we're sort of sorry i kind of kind of went off topic for a bit there but the way we're seeing all the duchamps work so closely together and it, even though they're starting to get separated from their husbands they feel like such a cohesive unit the way they work in threes and i mean i don't think it's an accident that they work in groups of threes very well together yeah and uh blake and his group of three are all over the place this chapter yeah i love i mean that's the thing about pact right is all these things just work so nicely um Mm. you mentioned the idea of the duchamps being great foils for blake because they're all about connections which is something that blake has struggled with his whole life and is kind of eschewing now um i absolutely Mm. love that and it's kind of coalesced the thought of i mean we said something similar about the behames when they were the main focus right they represented at points both Blake's past, which has obviously been something that he's been struggling to get away from, as well as his uh, his concept against uh, his fight against his own uh, expiry date. You know these concepts of time that so clearly tie into the Bames. It's the best thing about Pact: the fact that there's so many different meanings and nice coincidences that all just kind of pop up in the way the story unfolds. I love it. Um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so speaking of how the story unfolds, uh, let's see how this chapter unfolds. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> um, so Blake is watching these Duchamps and Molly, uh, basically coalesces behind him. Um, and Blake, uh, Blake basically has a conversation with her about whether he is keeping his end of the bargain here. I love how when she appears, Blake does the whole, he doesn't even turn around. He's just like, Hey Molly um and it's like she's like how did you know it was me it just it's such a villain move like it's (laughs) i I guess i guess i'm just beating this this drum but uh like it just feels like he is acting like a villain in in every way yeah no it's great isn't it um (laughs) he does this thing that i absolutely hate though where he um he basically says to Molly, Molly's Molly shows up and is giving him the benefit of the doubt and is being like, oh, you know, somebody said that you were keeping some Duchamps alive. And of course, I didn't believe them because we're buds. And Blake does this thing that I hate when people do where he's just kind of like, no, I did it. And then doesn't extrapolate for a few seconds, which is like, mm. it's very Blake to do. It's very movie monster Blake, but... I mean, don't maybe don't play games with the junior god. Like, just kind of explain what's going on, Blake. Like, say, no, no, I did it, but it's because of this, rather than just, no, I did it, and then a dramatic pause. Uh, yeah, I agree. He's been doing it more and more in the last few arcs, and it, 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 it drives me me nuts. Uh, I think we've talked about it before. It's a bit of a pet peeve of mine in, in films. Uh, and I get, like, why he's doing it here. Like, I'm not sort of criticizing how the story works, because he it does feel like he just does it as a bit of a theatrical thing yeah like he's like because he's smarter than that right so he's just sort of like no you heard right and then he just kind of lets her fume for a bit and he's like but let me explain it's like just explain it the first time like why are you being like this (laughs) yeah yeah definitely um anyway so uh basically blake maybe almost convinces her it's it's a little bit uncertain whether she is convinced or not um but molly disappears and actually blake says something interesting where he says damn articulate for a ghost what the hell is going on with her um and we kind of got the idea of a god of molly turning into a god um but they're they're kind of hanging a wabo is hanging a bit of a lampshade on how fast molly is powering up which again definitely makes it feel like there's something going on here that we're going to get get to see unfold throughout the rest of the story i don't know what it is um well i mean you you do but anyway do um, i oh <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the theory that I, I brought up in my live read that, uh, like, as I think on it, still makes sense is uh, we never found out what Johannes's very big ghost is. Like, I remember when uh, it was when Jeremy went first went to Johannes's domain and it was just like, oh, yes, and he has a very big ghost. Mm. And, like, I wonder if Johannes is the one kind of fueling Molly because uh, i mean it seems to be working out for him um possibly better than he expected but at the very least it's like he molly's just caused so much chaos in the town and he and and whatever of his crew he wants to keep safe are just safe in his domain yeah molly seems to have been i mean justifiably angry at the Bahames and also the duchamps but never really wanted to make any plays against johannes not that we've seen so far at least uh, she mentioned when she wanted everyone to give a kid for her to kill um she said johannes would have to sacrifice something like of equal value or, or, or whatever um but you know i mean i guess that's sort of the thing is he knew he would be less of a target especially because he's got his domain to hide in yeah yeah interesting theory uh, let's see how it pans out i guess um I, another thing that left me feeling odd i think about this is molly leaves very abruptly in this conversation like there's this mm. she, she kind of it, it I could interpret it, I guess, as her getting in the last word and then leaving, which I think is a fair interpretation. But it just feels like she leaves a little earlier than I would have expected her to, which makes me think something is going on again. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. It's definitely, it, it, it feels off the way she leaves because she's like halfway through an argument with Blake, basically. Like Blake makes a point, she rebuts it, and then she just doesn't show up again um yeah i don't know i was very confused i i i'm interested to see what what she's thinking the next time we see her because it, it does just feel weird the way she just leaves this conversation yeah or maybe it's that she actually isn't as powerful as she's trying to appear and she just ran out of um body forming juice or whatever yeah i mean maybe like she complains about all the power she's expended for blake so maybe uh she um He's just having to be a lot more careful with conserving it. But that doesn't really fit her whole, like, revenge monster vibe. Yeah. Like, if she's pissed off at Blake, I would have thought. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Um, anywho, Blake and his team continue to follow the Duchamps, basically keeping an eye on them. Uh, yeah, but they also... I mean, he knows that whenever he can see them, they'll know where he is. So I love that his idea is just, well, I'm just going to, like, walk out there openly and just kind of be a scary villain yeah uh, walking like a block along just being out in the open and and putting bits of fear in everyone and, and just scaring them and, and acting like he he could move at any minute like he's such a he's so terrifying now. yeah he's a full-on movie monster right yeah um, yeah he, and we get <laughs> i absolutely love we get a glimpse of this uh this good karma practitioner the benevolent um, and he just seems so out of place in the world. <laughs> like, it's so delightful. He basically is just wearing, like, good luck charms and stuff, and he seems like he's uh, cheerily whistling along to himself as he walks. Like, he's such a not-packed character. It makes me so happy. Yeah, he's he's a really sort of fresh idea in this world. I love how he has these giant beads for a necklace, and, like, one's a four-leaf clover, and you're sort of like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yep. Traditional symbol for luck. Uh, that's sort of his whole deal. I get it. Then there's one that's like a sun, and I was sort of like, yeah, okay, like light, heat, you know, the sun. Okay, that's that's a fairly sensible image. And then one's just got like a smiley face on it. Yeah. And like, so when you, it's just like, okay, like he's just taking the piss now. He's a big fan um, of Watchmen. What can you say? 
yeah. like it's just such a silly icon for someone to have in in a battle like this it's yeah it really sort of stands out as so unique it's great and again blake looks at him and clearly has the impression of like okay he doesn't look very strong but then his reaction is like hmm, maybe he's a trap i'd better not yeah <laughs> yeah it's and so i mean good. that's why this guy could just stroll through a battlefield yeah and just be really chill about it although not too chill because the cold doesn't seem to affect him which is also funny yeah yeah um um so then blake is basically at this point looking at each of the possible targets to decide who he should kill next and he eventually decides that the pyromancer is a pretty good target and he has this moment where he thinks to himself i was already pretty goddamn jealous of anyone who had someone knowing that he'd had it and he'd ruin it Sorry, that he'd had it and he'd ruined it, that he'd perverted it and made it something ugly. That's enough justification for Blake, right? And I think this is a Mm. very interesting line because Blake has demonstrated a few times that he doesn't really want to pursue any kind of romantic relationship. But this line clearly indicates he still wants that. He still wants close connection to people, right? Yeah. So maybe there's hope for Green Lake yet, which is their ship name, I'm I'm calling it. Um well, the other thing I like about this line is <laughs> Blake calls out, Oh no, I can't stand people who would take a good relationship and pervert it into something ugly. And then later on this uh, chapter he takes this young boy that he has a close relationship and, and gets him to murder somebody, so that's totally not what you would do, Blake. Yeah. Uh I I completely agree with that second comparison. That feels very deliberate. It's so perfect. Yeah. Um I mean yeah, going back to sort of your first point about like Blake and not really wanting romantic relationships, but wanting like some sort of relationship. Um, I mean, I th- I think his framing here is a really important encapsulation of his current state of mind. Um, because yes, obviously as we've touched on, he's a massive dickhead to Bla- uh, to Evan for the rest of this chapter, and yep. I mean they just straight up leave Green Eyes behind a number of times. Yeah. But this isn't super new. Like, this chapter really ups it a notch in how much he's treating these two like shit. But, you know, like, he, he's he been abandoning them and kind of asking them to do not good things since they got out of the drains, I, I'd say. Yeah. Um, And it, it just all really feels like it's tying into that idea that he hasn't trackled since since he was in the drains and had his, uh, pa- like his past visions or whatever about how he's, like, a bit of a, a user and, a, and an abuser of people. Um. And we've brought this up kind of a number of times, and now it really feels like he's he's lost the Cabal and Rose, and so he set himself up on this mission, and he's kind of just dragged the only two people who will still follow him around, and he's using them more than ever. Like, it just really feels like this sort of, he's been hurt, and he's kind of escalating and doubling down on that sort of behavior is kind of how it's starting to feel like. Um, and And just this idea of, like, him being like, oh, you know, he, well, it just how hurt he is by losing the cabal is sort of keeping him from seeing how much hurt he's causing to Evan and Green Eyes, I think. Yeah, it's interesting that you use the word losing the cabal, right? Because I don't see it that way. Like, I definitely see it as him choosing to leave them behind, right? And I think the same thing applies to Rose, although to a lesser extent. Um, sure, there was that kind of betrayal vision, which in his mind think makes him think, okay, I'm I'm not... I can't super trust these people, but he he's he's chosen to not bring them on his next missions, right? Maybe because they would disagree with doing it, which I think is a fair point from them. But, yeah. But also, he he never really 
you know, the the plan, if I remember, was burn down the house, then go back and regroup, right? Like, that's just been long forgotten. Yeah. He's just totally ditched them. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess, yeah, the phrasing of losing them, I, I, I agree with that. Like, my idea of phrasing is losing them is that's sort of his perspective in that he thought he was reforming this connection and then he saw a vision of this betrayal and has sort of given up on, uh, he seemingly has given up on a hope of restoring his bond with these guys um yeah. i don't know or, or just temporarily shelved it at least so there's this real sense that he's sort of lost his hope and connection with them right now i i guess is, is just sort of how i see his thinking on it um i agree i don't necessarily think he's he has but i think yeah. that's what he's thinking right now yeah and i would have probably put the thorburns into that same category as well where he had left them behind but last chapter or the chapter before he explicitly brought peter slash ellie and uh christoph into the chat room which seems like an act of kind of trusting them so i don't know where his yeah. head's at with relation to them but it, it seems clear that he's uh he doesn't feel like he has many people he can call allies right now yeah yeah exactly um so uh blake as Blake is walking parallel with the Duchamps, he notices that they look different. And he realises just in time that Hilda is no longer walking with the Duchamps. And as he realises this, Hilda lands right next to them and uh, a fight starts. Yeah, it's something that's sort of been built up a little bit in this chapter and and, and some of the other ones is uh, Blake feels very fragile right now. Like, obviously, he's able to recover, um, and he sort of talked earlier about how hurt is temporary because he can just, you know, shove more twigs or find more people bones around. But he does feel very light and kind of snappable mm. at the moment. So the idea of a very strong and fast troll feels very terrifying. Like, I was very worried for Blake because I'm like, well, Hilda could easily just smash him apart so fully that he's not going to recover. Yeah, it really feels like if Hilda gets a good grab on him, Blake's at yeah. least going back to the abyss for a while. Yeah, um, that, that, that'd be best case scenario, I think. Yeah, I, I love how as soon as Hilda lands, the the story effectively conveys what type of troll this is, right? Because the word troll has a lot of um, baggage, I guess, contextually. Trolls are stupid, trolls are slow. Trolls are strong, but they're slow and stupid, right? Um, and in this chapter, <laughs> yeah. immediately Hilda lands and is going and is quick and is clearly clever, or at least... Um, Maybe not clever, but at least, like, with it. Yeah, I mean, Hilda seems terrifying. Yeah, a good familiar choice, Sandra. Yeah. Um, So, uh, Hilda uh, is, you know, chasing Blake, and some other people get involved. There's a satyr here for a second. And actually, there's this interesting bit where Evan pretty explicitly saves Blake here. Um, Mm. This satyr comes and tries to headbutt Blake and then almost grabs him, and Evan uh, seems to ensure that uh, Blake doesn't get caught. So, again, without Evan, Blake would 100% be dead, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, these these instincts uh, for escape and the, the escape powers that Evan has just complement Blake's whole run into the middle of a battle and bite off more than I can chew uh, tactic so well because, obviously, he can run in, bite off more than he can chew and then still get out, thanks to Evan. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, like, speaking of, his response to this Seder charging him is he just charges all the Duchamps. <sighs> bad plan bad plan blake <laughs> yeah um 
So Hilda continues to chase Blake, and basically these other Duchamp squads are, are throwing enchantment tricks at him, um, and they're really working together, and it's like, they work really well together, I kind of like it. Hmm. They're so well-coordinated, it feels rehearsed at least. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Although it's interesting, thinking about it now, it's only the Duchamp women that are taking part in this, right? Mm-hmm. I- yeah, apart from that one example with the pyromancer that was early in the chapter and presumably is no longer existing most of it's described as like trios of the women yeah yeah so the duchamp women clearly work well together um i I guess i mean i think i think that's an embodiment kind of of their family dynamic really it's it's the duchamp were they a coven they were a coven weren't they yeah yeah i guess you'd call them a coven uh, one of the groups was a coven, was it the Bahamians? No, there no, was the, the Bahamians sisters a of the, the Sisters of the Torch are definitely a coven. I've, I'd call the Bahamians a coven. I, know, I, I think the word coven was specifically used to the Duchamps. Okay. Um. A- anyway, but like, you, you get that sense, right, that it's like that part of the family first, and whoever you marry, I mean, that's they're just a tool for the family. Yes. You know, that's... That's obviously something, like, you know, we're starting to see those relationships uh, for how fragile they kind of are, for the most part. Like, I, yeah. I, think, I think Sandra's going to stand as a unique uh, example of when this isn't the case, because her and Jeremy clearly have something, and it's going to yeah. be heartbreaking when we finally get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe that's the, the comparison we're meant to make, is uh, the bonds of marriage... If you just marry someone as a tool, as a power play, that's not a recipe for success. Um, and that's obviously quite directly comparable to Blake and Evan. Although Blake didn't marry, in air quotes, <laughs> Evan for that reason, it does seem to be uh, a, mm. a, I don't know, a utility-based partnership right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, let's touch on uh, how Team Blake is going right now. Um, Green Eyes basically disappears from the story for a bit, which I didn't notice for, for my first read. So I'm as bad Me as Blake. Either. I totally. <laughs> when she showed up, I was like, "Oh yeah, where's Green oh, yeah, Where Eyes have you been? been? Yeah." <laughs> um, but uh, Blake basically a few times grabs Evan out of the air and just like swats him around or taps him on stuff to like very directly use his magic. Uh, Evan refers to it as Tinkerbelling, which is very on point. <laughs> It's so perfect. I was trying to come up with, like, as I was reading, I was trying to come up with a witty way to describe it, and then I just got to the bit where everyone called it Tinkerbelling, and I was like, nah, fuck, that's it. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm not doing better than that. Um, yeah, I mean, the first time he does this, he just sort of grabs Evan out of the air and, like, swats him in front of him. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, um, what's this? Like, that, is that, that's a bit rude, isn't it? Using him as a power battery like this. And Evan makes the sound of annoyance. So yeah. you're like, oh, okay, this is bad. Um, but Blake will get the hint, right? Um, uh, can I? Can we read some out? Let's read some. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's one that I really liked. Uh, Blake says, I pulled on the door handle, touching it with the hand that still held Evan, and found it only opened about half a foot. So he tries to open a door, and then he's like, hmm, not working. Let me try with Evan. And he just, like, rubs him on the door handle and then tries again. <laughs> Horrible. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the one for me is when he's w- running through the store and um, all the clothes and their hooks are kind of grabbing his sweatshirt. And so his his quote is, I used Evan to club my way free. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus so he's Christ. Just like, um, yeah, I mean, and, and there's another bit that, that we're about to get into where uh, he asks Evan for help battling the troll. And, like, Evan's trying to confront him about how Blake has just started, like, literally using him. Yeah. And, uh, and um, Evan's like, oh, yeah, uh, she's hunted me a bunch. And Blake's kind of like, well, now she's hunting me. 
and, and it's just it's just the way it was phrased especially after what he did it immediately sent sent off all these alarm bells in my head where i'm just like blake i don't know this isn't all about you like yeah. i mean obviously your life's in danger or whatever but I, it's just the way he kind of dismisses evan in this moment it just really didn't sit right with me i don't know yeah and he's kind of dismissive of evan a lot right through throughout mm. this evan evan kind of um tries to confront him and blake doesn't really engage with it he'll he'll either change the topic or he'll uh <laughs> at, at one point actually he in his head basically thinks of what evan is saying as a petulant outburst like his narration changes to show how annoyed he is with evan you know wanting to confront the fact that he's being tinkerbelled <laughs> like it's so disrespectful yeah well he basically gets out onto like the um he gets out onto the rooftop and he's like, oh, this is nice. And then Evan says something and he calls it like, Evan's like, oh, Evan's ruined the moment with a petulant outburst. Yeah. And it's kind of like, what? Yeah, ruined um, what like... moment, Blake? The moment <laughs> of you running away from a troll? What are you talking um, about? Yeah. It... Sorry, this has only just occurred to me. I, I, I'm going to have to look this up. There was like a moment like this in Alistair's interlude. Wasn't there? Was there? I, I, feel, I feel like there was a bit where he... He was just sort of like enjoying a moment or something. And then somebody spoke, and it was like, "Oh, they've ruined the day" or something. Maybe I don't know. Ainsley. Maybe I'm wrong. That feels like how um, he treated Ainsley. Yeah, like I think it might have been. Like, it was just something in the way. There was like a moment with Ainsley or something where he felt incredibly dismissive, and it feels like I, I yeah, I don't know. It's just this memory's too vague. I shouldn't have brought this up, but uh, it, yeah. Um, I mean, basically, Evan tries like a couple of times to bring up how unimpressed he is with how blake has been treating him and blake just kind of dismisses it for various reasons some of those are more valid than others like there is one where there's a troll five feet away so it's kind of like okay yeah i'll I'll give you that one like this isn't the time but then it's like things slow down for a second and evan tries to bring it up blake's like oh no i was doing it for you to keep you safe fuck (laughs) off you were yeah um not convincing blake no (sighs) um so they've they've made it up onto the roof now and they do have a respite because it seems that Hilda has lost them or isn't able to follow them that effectively. Um, and uh, in this in this moment, Blake kind of looks around and finds a trash can that he then kind of fills up with salt and ice, packing it tight until it turns into a little makeshift missile to be dropped on an unsuspecting husband. So I want to make sure I'm understanding this 100% clearly. Blake gets a bin and he fills it so tightly with ice and salt. Mm-hmm. That even when you hold it upside down, nothing falls out. Yep, tightly uh, packed. It's like, it's like a it's like a Dairy Queen blizzard. Yep, and he gets Evan to drop it on a person. So in the head. So he drops it, and then Evan. So this is <laughs> as if this makes it okay. He drops it, <laughs> and then Evan just makes sure it hits the right target. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean uh, that that feels like pedantics, right? Which you know this is packed, so fair. Um, it, it's it's even... he makes he makes F, he makes Evan. Uh, it, no, more than an accessory. No, yeah. he, Blake chucks it over the roof, and for Blake, it's like, oh, it could hit someone, it could not. Evan's the one who decides who is going to die. Evan is the one that is accountable yeah. for this murder, right? Um, yeah, I mean, Blake he would be if he was an adult, Evan, I guess, being accountable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, because I, I struggled to follow this the first. The first time I was reading, because I I did not believe that Blake would do this to ever. Like the first time I read it, I was like, oh, so they've filled the like, oh, they've just mixed ice and, or snow and salt into like all the dirty rubbish, and then they're like throwing rubbish over the people. And then I was sort of like, it's a bit weird that that scared them 
so much. Yeah. And then it was sort of later I went back up and I was like, no, okay, Blake's just pretty much had Evan kill a guy. Yeah. And he barely, barely thinks about it. We- like, like, there's no confirmation that the guy is, is dead, really. So we... I mean, there's that shred of hope. That but yeah, no I th- I thought this too. But the way they react, the the fact that yeah. Blake feeds off of their fear and their terror at this means that he is dead. I I, I can't see that happening without the Pyromancer being dead, which means that Blake has just got Evan to murder somebody. Um, and I this mean, is look, I'll give it a point one percent chance that nobody's dead. Like, yeah, that's that's where sure. I'm at right now. I'm like, I agree. I, I think it's. Very, I'm leaving there. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> it's zero. Um, but yeah, so Blake, uh, pre-Abyss Blake, and even some post-Abyss Blake, I think, would have wanted to kill the person who did this to Evan, right? Yes, yeah, 100%. He he made so many threats to people, uh, over, like, particularly, it was a post-Abyss, just after he got out, like, as you said, there were multiple times where he was like, um, if, if you fuck with Evan, like, I will come for you. And wait, this yeah. feels like something even Arc Eleven era Blake. If somebody had made Evan do this, he probably just would have killed them. Even that time when they were talking about what their hopes are as they were walking up the hill to prepare to burn down the house, like man, I think even that Blake would have done it. And that's the start of what last chapter, this chapter. Mm. That's not very far away. Like I get that Blake's whole thing is we're fighting past and 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 the history of things that keeps them stagnant uh he seems a bit too willing to forget his past (laughs) yeah he's he's forgetting a conversation that happened in his time a couple of hours ago um we've just talked about how he doesn't seem to remember the lesson about how he's in a bit of a he's a bit of an abuser from the drains um like yeah he's someone who's very disconnected from his past since he kind of learned the truth of it and uh i i hope he hope he overcomes that yeah i don't know it's it's like it's these things that make me think he's so much more abyss than we think he is you know like he's so much yeah. less human well he, but he was like you know he was so weighed down by his past in the first seven arcs of the book um and then since he's kind of gotten free of that he seems to have almost entirely gotten free of the concept of reflecting on the past at all yeah <laughs> basically even yeah. the the recent past <sighs> yeah i don't know I, it just doesn't feel good mm, yeah um and, and and while they're building um this missile uh green eyes finally catches up and i just wanted to bring this up because she kind of makes a point she's like every time i don't just leap into battle uh you guys leave me behind mm. and this is really noteworthy to me because we've had a number of bits throughout the last like four or five chapters where blake keeps being like Oh, why does Green Eyes just always jump into the middle of things? And yeah, she she just tells him right here, like this is this is basically she just sort of straight up says, "Hey, if I don't just jump into things, you're gonna leave me behind." And he's just kind of like, "Oh, you've led them here." Um, I don't know, like I I don't know what more Evan and Green Eyes can do to try and communicate with Blake. He's just he's he's not responding to what I would think is pretty clear communication of how they're feeling. Yeah, um, yeah, he just uh, is not getting it. I suppose. Um, yeah. So the pyromancer is presumably dead to this bomb, and this gives Blake enough time to slip away. Um, but of course, he's not happy with the, what, seven Duchamps that he's killed so far. So <laughs> he continues to follow them, ready to add more murders to his belt. Um. Yeah. And there's a brief bit where Blake is like, uh, well, after after this guy dies, yeah, uh, and and Blake's sort of like, oh, the screams have remind reminded me that I'm dealing with humans. Um, 
but also like I'm I'm feeding on the fear and you know I don't like it but uh it is important and um you know this boogeyman part of me just wants to leap into the fray and he doesn't do that he just follows them to kind of continue the fight like I don't know it's just this bit where he's sort of like ah you know has reminded me that I've worked with humans and then there's no there's no second part to that thought yeah it's just like yes I am dealing with humans idea shelved for now uh I'm gonna kind of continue doing what I'm doing yeah and he he basically is reflecting on this kind of leads him to reflect on his own goals, right? He's reflecting on how he really wants to disrupt a system, but he his biggest goal is to get back to being Blake. Yeah, and this is this is a this is good, right? Is this good? This feels good. It feels like it's a good goal for him to set to try and be more human, to be more Blake. Let me just I just want to read out this whole bit because because I I want to talk about like a few things yeah. from it. Um. So Blake says, uh, I'd been looking for a goal, and I had it, meager as it was. Not a grandiose dream, like being normal again, or riding my bike, or fixing things. I was going to do what I could to steer things towards a better path, and I was going to try to stay true to myself. I'd veer one way or another, along the comic path or against it. But I was going to be Blake, when all of this was said and done. Even if Blake was less than half a person. I set my eyes on my next target, and gave the signal to move on. And so, it's that last line... That doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy about this yeah. idea that, that, that you sort of said about, oh, he's going back to Blake. Because, yeah. Um, I don't get the impression from that so much that he's thinking, I want to get back to Blake, which is sort of what what you implied would be the optimistic read before. He very much is just saying, I'm going to be true to myself. Um, but right now, you know, that true to his self thing is kind of at best inconsistent. Mm. Uh, like he's you know he's part murder monster now and and i don't think he's done a great job of separating those two sides of him in his yeah. own head i i mean there probably is a worse way of reading it where he can say at the end of this i'm i'm going to be blake and that what that means is either slightly better i'm gonna do all this and then i'll go back to being a human again which is shit, but maybe is slightly better than the worst read, which is, well, I'm still me, regardless of what hideous shit I do, and I'm a good person, so I know it can't be that bad. I mean, that's basically the closest version to my read. Like, I'm sort of... I read this as a kind of, you know, I can't beat the system, but I'm not going to join it. I'm just going to do what I think is right and and be true to myself and, and go ahead from there. And... Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, that's not the worst thing. Like, I don't hate that as a general goal or mission for a lot of people because if the system is too big and powerful for you to fight, like, the best you can kind of do is just do the best you you can and you don't have to, you don't have to like, cr- you know, make it crumble if, if that's not reasonable for you to be able to do, uh, but you don't have to fully conform to it. You can just try and do your best in as, as an individual. And I don't think that that's necessarily the worst message, but Blake is very much embodying the reason that it isn't the perfect message yeah because he's really shit at deciding what the right thing to do is right now uh his his instincts in that regard are really off base because they're very heavily influenced by boogeyman things uh yeah. instincts and so you know it's kind of like a, i mean this is something like i think the one of the captain america movies had this way captain america was sort of like you know i always stand my ground and when the whole world tells you no but you think it's right you say yes that and was it's like, captain america 3 yeah, and it's sort of like, okay, well, that that's fine when you're not, like, a dickhead, but there are plenty of people out there who are dickheads, and, and so if the whole world's telling them no, it might actually be right. Like, if the whole world's telling you no, you should at least self-reflect. Yeah. <laughs> and um, 
and so yeah so i don't know like it's just interesting to see blake moving forward maybe with this mindset when he's so compromised yeah it's it's the equivalent of saying something like well i'm just blunt i just tell it how it is like that's a defense yeah. for, for being a shit yeah um yeah. and i think this is the chapter where i i don't like blake <laughs> You know, this is the chapter where I'm like, okay, I just, I just can't, I just can't get behind you, Blake. And maybe it should have been earlier. He's killed seven people now. Maybe it should have been earlier. Sorry, eight counting Laird. But it just, it's just, I just can't get behind him anymore, right? Well, I mean, he's only a face now, but like, that's the only part of flesh left. So there's not much to hate because um, yeah. he's only, he's only one strip of him left um but no i completely agree he's been falling for a while and i I think i've been complaining for a long time about uh how i I feel like he's losing more and more of his humanity and 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 stuff but this is finally the point where it's like okay he murdered those people but you could sort of make excuses and then he he just it it, it feels bad to say it's really it's the fact that he starts to cross evan that i think finally is like okay that was that was the one thing that was that was sort of the one thing we could all hold on to, and he's just explicitly yeah. made that go away. And this sort of you've run out of reasons to sort of justify his actions. It's because Evan is the innocent, right? Like Evan is so pure that he's yeah. It's he if he's if he's abusing that, there's nothing left, right? Yeah, absolutely. Evan's Evan's the heart of this yeah. of this story, and so crossing and and abusing Evan is really the point where you're like, okay, there's. Like you're doing the opposite of good when yeah. you do the opposite of Evan, um, and so yeah, like it's just you—you you can't help but kind of give up on him more than ever. Yeah, or like an extra step of giving up on Blake in this chapter. Yeah, um, oh. and that's a sad place to leave it, but that's where the chapter ends. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I feel like I've been saying this for arcs, but we have to be reaching the turning point soon. Like, unless this is just a story about how a good guy gets completely broken down and turns into a monster. Um, eventually, I think I don't, I don't, it's going to have to turn around a bit. I don't think that's a running theme for Wild Bo protagonists, though. I don't think they <laughs> end up just turning into monsters, do they? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess that's where we'll leave this one. <laughs> Uh, thanks for joining us for this. Um, before we wrap up, uh, it's time to revisit our discussion question from this week, which was talking about what might the backstories or the uh, the origin stories of various gods in mythology be. Um, an interesting question. Uh, we only got a, a small handful of answers, um, but let's let's examine uh, one of our our favourite answers, which was given to us by Sahibum Seven. Um, yeah. And so Sahibimum tells the story of a, a, a theory for how the myth of the Grim Reaper may have got started, right? Um, basically, the story of a farmer walking home in the rain with his cloak and his scythe one day, getting spotted, and this giving birth to a rumour, and that rumour spreading and spreading until it's strong enough to take on its own uh, incarnation, I suppose you'd call it, uh, that then becomes hmm. the Grim Reaper. Um, this was a fun, a great read. I really enjoyed it. I'd recommend uh, people read it in our discussion thread from... I think it was 13.5, uh, last yeah. chapter. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. So thanks, Sahibum. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought it was a good one. Um, but uh, that said, let's move on to the next discussion question because we're still going to try and stick to these weekly ones. Yeah, see how I quite enjoy them. Uh, um, so our next discussion question coming up for this week is uh, 
The world of Pact is a world of systems. Games are also things made of systems. Which parts of Pact would make for good games slash video games? Uh, which parts would be bad? Uh, yeah, so I guess, you know, basically just a little game design prompt yeah. this week. Yeah, um, game design, but also I think it's interesting to think about uh, what systems would be entertaining for people to engage with as a, as a different lens to take a look at Pact for. Because Pact is a world of practitioners who choose to opt into these systems. And I think that's an interesting, um, interesting lens to see, well, what are the parts that would be engaging and entertaining to opt into. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so where uh, can... so we'll be talking about yeah. we'll be talking about that one in uh, execution thirteen point nine next Monday. Yep. Um, where can people leave their answers, Elliot, to this question? Uh, you can drop those in our discussion thread on Reddit. That's probably the best place. Mm-hmm. And the link to that will be in our episode notes down below. So thanks uh, yes. for joining uh, us, you, folks. Uh, and if you want to, you know, give us a hand. Uh, and, and, you know, spread word of the show so we get more discussion question answers. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, what are some other, like, Podbean? I don't know. But Spotify? You podcasts. Yeah, and, and chuck a review in there, give us good numbers, more people discover Pact, we'll all be happier, except for Blake, apparently. Yep. Um, he's never going to be happy. Let's be real. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you want to engage more with the show, the best place to do that is on our Twitter, which is at MediaMD Podcast. Uh, We do the live reads there and people tweet at us and we respond sometimes. It's good fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other place we can often be found is on the Doof Media Discord, uh, which is a perk of Patreoning us at doofmedia or patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Yes. Uh, for one dollar a month, you get access to that Discord and all the great uh, discourse that goes on there. Yes, uh, that also gives you access to the Doof Media Minecraft server, which is a personal favorite of mine. And there are a bunch of awesome perks that you can get at different levels on the Patreon, such as the five dollar a month tier lets you tune in and take part in our monthly Doof and Chill sessions. Uh, the newest one of those happened uh, yesterday. And we did a role-playing game that was very erotic, and it was good fun. So if you want to check that out, <laughs> uh, go to patreon.com slash doofmedia and back us for $5 a month or more. Uh, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, if, you, if you're interested in learning more about the Doof Network, head on to doofmedia.com. You can find out about all the other great shows. Uh, there's Do the Right Thing, of course, um, which both of us have been on recently, and that's just where everyone takes turns writing some short stories and getting feedback on them. And it's, it's a really, it's, it's a fun thing to get involved with. And there's a great little community forming around it. Yeah. Um, and if you want to support Wildbo, he also has a patron. He is a patron supported author. So head on to, over to patreon.com forward slash Wildbo. If you want to support him making all these great stories. Yes, because we, we still want them. They're very good. <laughs> and apart from that, we will see you on Wednesday the 20th with our next episode, Execution 13.7. So we'll see you then. See you then. See you then.